Well, hello there. This is a new episode of a podcast called Too Scared to Sleep, and I am a host whose name is Dylan. Hi, guys, and welcome to another episode of Too Scared to Sleep. I don't know why I let him open up every episode. It's because I'm the one who pushes play. You don't know when I start. That's true. It's always something strange. (laughs) Yeah, I try to keep it fresh, keep it original, get a little bit funky. We're all glad you're here. We're here hanging out. It has been raining. It has been raining its ass off. It's been raining its ass off. I have to mow my fucking lawn again. Another dad thing that I have to do. <laughs> That's why I like living in an apartment, because yeah. I fucking hate mowing the lawn. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to again. I just did. Boomer's been acting weird all week long. Every time it rains, he's scared. He's been hanging out with me. He's a big, fraidy cat. And when I came in here he went to like got in the room and got situated and then he came in here and he looked at me mm-hmm. he actually and now made he's eye just contact. hanging out he's chilling in the corner right next to me and he's so cute yeah there was a box of connects which are like legos in that spot over there and he looked at that he looked at the box and then he looked at me and then he looked at the box again like you need to move this box for me because he's been laying there all day long uh, because of the rain <laughs> that's his designated which is so weird i don't know what's wrong with him He's got a whole queen-size bed he could lay on. He's got two couches in the living room. But he wants to lay over there in the middle of all these toys. Weirdo. He just loves me. He wants to come hang out with me. He wants to be here where his best friend is. That's true. So I watched the documentary Hail Satan over the weekend. Yes. So good. I started it and then got distracted, so I haven't been able to finish it. But I'm hoping to finish it tonight. It's really good. And it's so just, it's so timely mm-hmm. because last week, oh, God. the state of Texas Fuck signed Texas. into law one of the most restrictive anti-abortion bills in the country. Yeah. They said the government can't control what people do, so we'll make sure that you can't have a mask mandate in the city, but the government's going to control what these people do, so you can't get an abortion. Yeah. The government can't control what people do. Just today, they they got closer to setting it up where anybody in Texas, anyone in Texas can walk around with a gun on their hip if they want to, without having to register, without having to go through a background check, without having to go, to the, go, go through the license to carry class. Anybody can do it like it's the fucking Wild West down here. And, you know, why? Because the government can't tell us what to do. Unless, of course, you're a woman who's, you know, been impregnated through rape or incest or you're having a child and that child has serious deformities or you might die in the delivery of that child. Mm -hmm. God forbid you want an abortion or need an abortion for any reason under the sun because we're not going to let you do that. No. But you don't have to wear any masks anymore and you can carry a gun anytime you want to. Yeah. No matter what your background is. Also, we're not going to do anything to help the children that are being born that couldn't be aborted. There's so much about this that's just oh, so God. fucking wrong. It's so fucking stupid. And the problem is that it's being championed by so many fundamentalist Christians that it's just disgusting. It's just so gross. I hate it. Everything about it just makes us incredibly upset. And do you know why? It's because we believe in bodily autonomy and human rights because we're not pieces of shit. Yeah. Exactly. That's how we feel. So my daughter had a birthday. We're mo- we're going we're gonna to shift gears from yeah. this. We're just going to get angry and angry and angrier. Yeah. Almost three weeks ago, my daughter had a birthday. And um, her mom planned a birthday party at Peter Piper Pizza. Peter Piper Pizza. Peter Piper Pizza is the pizza people pick. Damn. And she decided, okay, so back, you don't know this because you don't have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, 
before COVID, if you wanted to invite, if you wanted to have a birthday party and you were going to invite one kid in the class, you had to invite all the kids in the class, right? Because you just, you can't do that thing where you just invite a couple of kids. Which is fucking stupid. Why would I invite people that I'm not friends with? Fuck Dylan, it's not like that. Dylan, think about it on the other end. If you were the weird kid. Yeah, I've been that weird kid. Try to be, try to, try to imagine yourself being the weird. I know that's a stretch for you. <laughs> Fuck off. <Just laughs> no, but I mean, you I have really to invite every shit, kid right? or you don't invite any kids. I mean, you can. I mean, but it doesn't make sense. Like, okay, here's where, and this is where I I'm coming know. from. Like, I am, I am somebody who has been in school mo- much more recently than you. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm not friends with somebody, why would I invite Maybe them? You so, don't have to invite like, every kid. I don't know because my son got invited to a, a pool party, and there were only like four kids there. Now, here's the thing about this. Okay. We're in the middle of a global pandemic, which is still these, going on. My, despite what Texas my daughter is. and the kids that are in her a, in her age group of of class because she's in kindergarten are not old enough to get the vaccine. Mm, yeah. Okay. So it's a bunch of nasty, gross children with nasty, yes, gross. We all know COVID. what you think about, it. and they are nasty and gross. Um, but my their mom invited every single kid in that fucking class. Turns out there's 20 kids in that class uh, because just today she graduated from kindergarten and I went to the award ceremony and I counted the number of kids because I wanted to be able to tell the story accurately. <laughs> there were two, there's 20 kids in her class. About 18 of them showed up for this birthday party. It was pandemonium uh, in oh that God. Peter Piper pizza. That is a nightmare. Hell's there game. were a lot of kids. Yeah. Too many kids. Far too many. For there to be a global pandemic. My their kids that my kids' mom should have pared down that guest list. But she had a really good time. She loves this TV show called Star vs. the Forces of Evil. I've heard which, of it. Yeah, it was a Disney show. Um and now it's on Hulu and we've watched it probably four times all the way through. Every <laughs> single fucking episode. She loves the show because um anyway she just loves it she identifies with the characters so i made a gift list i converted your birthday gift list to to my daughter's birthday's gift list and put a bunch of star versus the forces of evil stuff on there and she actually got a whole costume like she got the she wears a distinctive dress and tights Mm. and i made sure that i got those for her and then my dad and my mom bought her the wand the magic wand that star uses in the in the show because she's got magical power she's a magical princess of course (laughs) okay cool this fucking thing costs $50. Good Lord. Which is all the reason that I need to think is that we need to buy ourselves a 3D printer. Yeah, honestly. Because we could make these things by ourselves. I mean, yeah, no, a 3D printer would be cool as shit. Yes. But I would want to be able to make something that we could sell so that we could make some of that money back. Because the printers themselves are not expensive, but that resin material, mm-hmm. that shit adds up. Yeah, well, that Star vs. the Forces of Evil um, wand was $50 on Amazon. It's a lot of dollars. So even if we bo- if we made one and sold it for $40, we'd make our money back. That's, I mean, that's true. That's true. Because you're only going to spend maybe $10 worth of, what is that stuff called? It's like resin or plastic. Polymer, or blah, 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 Polymer, blah, blah, whatever what it's called. Remember we, when we used to work at Harbor Freight, people would come in and ask if we had any of that? Yeah. No, like, God, no, no, we don't have that. We're Harbor Freight. Are you Harbor Freight, bro. No, pick your battles, man. Mm-hmm. Or do you have pool filters? Do you have aquarium bulbs? Those no, are some of the things that we used to hear. Obviously, we God, don't. it was so crazy. We if have you, cheap tools. Yeah, if you if you don't know, I mean, it's been years and years. How many years ago? It was been five years ago when that happened. Almost six years ago. 
my God, was it really? Yeah, as a matter of fact, it's been almost six years. Holy Dylan shit. Dylan and I met because oh I was the night God. manager at Harbor Freight Tools, and he was an employee there when he was just a baby. And um, the weirdest thing about that store is that store is in the middle of New Braunfels where we live, and it was haunted for yes, it was no apparent reason. Like it, it was never there was never like an Indian burial ground, Native American burial ground. I mean, everything is a Native American burial ground. Everything, to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, everything is a Native burial ground. There, you know, I had lived here forever and ever and ever since I was a kid, and there's no reason to believe that anything ever happened there. There was never a witch's coven. It was never a Baptist church. It was never any of those things. It used to be a world gym, as a matter of fact, at one point. But for some reason, there were shadow people that we could see in the stock room. There were disembodied voices of women. Mm -hmm. There was stuff that was falling off the, off the shelves all the time. A yeah. lot of people, more than half a dozen people that we knew of, when we were working there, experienced paranormal activity in that store. Even and that's even Joel, who was like, yeah. like the quickest to shut anything down. Yeah, we've got a we've got a friend who's still our friend who is very skeptical. Friend, quote unquote, he's very skeptical about those things just because he likes to be a turd about it. <laughs> um, and even he was like, "There's some stuff going on in this place." So even the most skeptical of our friends had experienced these things. And so that got us on this idea of, wow, there's all these, you know, there's all these paranormal stories and it got us into the podcast. So that's where that came from. Here's a funny thing. So we got done with the kindergarten graduation today for my daughter. Mm -hmm. And she, she was taking pictures with her little girl squad. There's two sets of twins in her class, which is so weird. Oh, that's weird. But they were all Dan. They were all, they were all, um, they got into a ring and they were all singing Ring Around the Roses. Ah, that's so creepy, dude. So there's a, it's kind of, it's more like an urban legend. It doesn't really go all the way back. The back, at some point in the last 50, 60 years, people started to think that the, that the Ring Around the Roses song started. Because of the Black Plague. Because of the Black Plague. Yeah, I heard England. that a lot when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was just like watching my kids, watching my, my, my daughter and all of her friends sing Ring Around the Roses. And I'm thinking to myself, they're singing a song that's attributed, apocryphal, attributed to the Black Plague in the midst of a global pandemic. It's just so weird. Yikes. The irony of the moment was just so crazy. That irony do be hitting a little hard, though. That irony do be hitting a little hard. It's a little strange. <laughs> yeah, I don't care so much for that. No. What else is going on, Dylan? Well, you got another tattoo? Oh, yeah, I got another <gasps> tattoo. Oh, my God, I totally forgot. Oh, it looks so good. It looks really Most fucking Most of the time, cool. I'm like, you need to be you need to be investing in Dogecoin and... Well, not Dogecoin no, anymore. You need to get yourself another degree and clean your hair up and clean your clean your countenance and get a better job. That's You know I'm always on, on you about shit. that. This is my job. This is my job. Yeah. Is, this is if I if I don't do anything, I failed as a father. <laughs> when you get you out of retail hell, but that tattoo that you tattoo got looks really fucking looks good. Looks right? real good. Hell yeah! It looks so good. It's super fucking good. I love the it yellow looks in clean it. Clean as fuck. Yes. I love this shit. I'm so happy with it. It says, "Who loves golden showers?" Oh fuck you, <laughs> you nasty <laughs> bitch. Um, no, but that does remind me of an update. So, um, I was getting this tattoo and when I went to the shop, I always carry my binder that has like all my art in it because I, I design all my own tattoos. Mm -hmm. So I keep the originals with me and I bring the whole folder 
up there just so that I can show them the original to get the size right and do whatever we need to. Um, and this time there were more people in the studio than usual. And I ended up having a couple of them like wanting to look through my binder. So they were, I went there to get a tattoo. And the first thing I did after I got like signed in was I actually sold one of my art pieces to one of the artists there. Are you serious? Yeah. I got there and she was looking through some of my shit and she really wanted to buy the, uh, this, uh, Alex DeLarge one I have. I did a stippling portrait of, uh, nice. yeah, it's that one where it's From just him. Clockwork orange. Yes. It's just the blue eyes and the rest of it is black and white. Um, and it looks really cool and she went ahead and bought it and like immediately hung it up on her side of the studio so I could look at it like while I was getting tattooed. Um, but I was talking to them because they had asked like, have you ever considered doing tattoo work? And I was like, well, yes, yes, I have. And I was actually going to ask about an apprenticeship and they said during this tattoo and they said, oh, well, it's a good time to start or like to ask because we just lost our last apprentice. So I talked to my artist and he said, normally what you would do is you would submit an application, then we would review it, and we would you interview you. brought your you. portfolio. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm sorry. <laughs> dude. I'm sorry I'm doing this. I'm so excited. I'm sorry. No, I know. But he said since he was familiar with me, because I've been seeing him for like two and a half, almost three years. And he's seen me And he's it. seen my art. He said, we can skip that. And then I just needed to text him and let Did him you know hear I what I said? about it. Yep. <laughs> okay. I just, just moved on. Reason okay, over keep you. going. Keep going. Um, like, well, I mean, we're already lovers, so. Shut up. Um, no, but he said, because he was familiar with me to just let him know if I was serious about it and then we'll set up a meeting. So when this episode comes out tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, I will be messaging him and assuming he doesn't run late on his, uh, appointments, I'll be having a meeting with him to see, you know, go over all the details and see if it's something that he and I would both be serious about so I could start a tattoo apprenticeship. So that's where I'm at. That's my big update. I literally i can't even get more serious than i'm about to say that i am so proud of you right now i could cry right now i could cry right now oh my god do you hear it in I my voice hear it in your voice <laughs> i don't mean to be that way but i'm so proud of oh you oh my god the dark lord provides dark lord provides man i will admit my anxiety is through the roof about this but i am sticking with it and i am serious about it if i can make it all work because most of the time there are unpaid internships you know I mean, but we're going to go over all the details, figure it all out. Worst case scenario, I just stay on unemployment until it runs out and then I have to get some sort of overnight job or, you know, run favor, which I really don't want to do, <laughs> but I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll make it work. But I've already had so many people tell me that once I get started, they will pay me to tattoo them. So I've got some customers already the lined up and I haven't even provides. started. The dark Lord provides though, man. I'm so excited. Fucking for you. jazzed about it. I'm very excited. I'm very nervous, but I'm very excited. Don't be nervous. You got this. You're a good artist. They already know you. They've seen your artwork. They've bought your artwork. They Fair see points. all of the all of the art that you made. You got it all over your body. That's entirely true. <clears throat> yeah. You and already look like a tattoo artist. That's fair. I the, I will say, I mean, I would, I've wanted to be a tattoo artist since I was a little kid, and I used to watch Ink Masters with my dad when I was nine and ten years old. I'm trying not to cry right now. Keep going. <laughs> just keep going. Don't look at me. Don't look at me, um, but just keep going. But I will say, one of the things that I'm most excited about for that is I could finally get my hands tattooed. Oh, my God. <laughs> it just makes my arms, makes my hands hurt when you oh, say things man. like that. Get yeah, but I'm I'm very tattoo. excited. So hopefully that all goes well. Um, obviously, I'll be updating the podcast with every aspect of my life. Oh my God. What time is your thing? Do I need to go with you? 
no, you don't need to go with me. Uh, it'll be at the end of the day on Tuesday, so I'll let you know how it goes. But yeah, pretty hyped. The Dark Lord. The Dark Lord provides. Manifesting so that shit, man. I know. I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for you. I know. That's the best it just news. It ended up working out super well because they were like, well, have you ever considered this? And I was like, I was going to ask about it today. And they're like, oh, cool. We just lost our apprentice. They're going to call you a Padawan. Tell them they have, oh, they my have God. to be called a Padawan. The Padawan. Oh, that'd be cool. Yes. I will They'll not... instantly fire me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I only have one stipulation. You must call me Padawan. That's the only way that I'm going to respond. Oh, man. Then at the end, they could all gather around and see if they grant me the rank of master. You already can. I mean, you've got enough hair for a braid. That's true. I, for a while, was doing, like, one small braid on the side. I'm not doing some nasty mullet braid shit, though. How feminine. Fuck you. You and your Jesus hair. When was the last time you got a haircut? Um, I've trimmed it periodically, but I haven't had short hair since seventh grade. Your dad just posted a photo of you from like 11 years ago is it me working on the bike with him yes oh yeah yeah, you look like a baby i because you were a baby it was half my life ago jake oh my god half your life at half my life i was at your age that's sad for you oh tell me about it enough (laughs) enough we can cut out all the peter piper bullshit and just go with your tattoo story because that was so much better than what i had <laughs> that's fine. no offense it's, to it's my daughter 17 minutes no, that's, in that was ridiculous oh man i'm so excited for you i'm so proud of you thank you i'm i'm real hyped about oh it oh my god <clears throat> yeah i'm very excited also i've got i mean i've already got plenty of other tattoos like planned out but i'm hoping to get another appointment set up pretty soon too because i got my elbow ready to go that's gonna hurt so bad do you see how cute boomer is right now look at that oh my god look at him he's rolled up like a little kidney bean with his back legs tucked into his front legs and his head all but oh he's there he does it there he does it oh my god oh my god i know i love this cat i love that cat also, I really like that I'm very allergic to cats, but I come here and my allergies don't get bad. Thank God. I know. That would be a bummer. It's probably because I take good care of him. I'm always brushing that motherfucker out. That's true. He's very clean. Oh, sweet baby. My sweet little angel. All right. <laughs> you ready to talk about spooky shit? Let's do it. You want to go first? You want to go first? Let's see. Um, I'll go first because I've got a short one. Let's fucking hear it. Let's, oh, good, because mine's a little long. Nice, 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 nice. That way it'll balance out. Alrighty, so... We're going to be throwing it all the way back to 1903 to a little place called Van Meter, Iowa. Nothing good comes out of Iowa. Nothing good comes out of Iowa. And this particular one is called the Van Meter Monster, or the Van Meter Visitor. Oh god, I love it. <laughs> it's, it's pretty short, but it's really weird. So, during a series of late October nights in 1903 in the rural town of Van Meter, Iowa... Uh, 1903, that's a long time ago. Yes. 
Um, so during a series of late October nights in 1903, the rural ta- town of Van Meter, Iowa, was shocked and terrified by a strange visitor that spread fear like a virus amongst the town folks. Seen by most of the town, including a handful of reputable citizens, the story of the Van Meter visitor is one still shrouded in mystery, but fascinating nonetheless. Get my uh, exciting late night sci-fi show voice. I love it. <laughs> Deep. Within the bowels of Van Meter, Iowa. <laughs> exactly. So, the first time the visitor was reported was late one night by a local shop owner named U.G. Griffith. God damn it, Gene. <laughs> uh, he heard a large pounding on the roof of his home, and being the man of action that he was, he grabbed his rifle and stormed outside, peering up at the horror that stood atop his roof. Ugh, I don't like it. Griffith was greeted by a horrible stench reminiscent of rot and the shape of a roughly eight-foot-tall monster, vaguely humanoid in shape with large bat-like wings, a hard beak-like face, and a glowing horn that emitted a beam of blinding light. The beast stood high, spread its wings, and let out a horrible shriek. That's insane. Just one horn like a unicorn? Yeah. That's fucking weird. But like a weird, hard, like the whole head was like a beak material. Fucking crazy, man. Almost sounds like a pterodon or pterodactyl. It does sound very dinosaur. Yeah. That's cool. So Griffith hesitated only for a moment before firing off some shots at the monster. Of course he did. Who merely shrugged them off as if they were nothing. Before leaping into the air and flying high above the houses into the distance. Oh, man. Giant bulletproof monster with bad smell and laser beam head. Count me in. Hell yeah. I should be more afraid of cryptids. I know. <laughs> but it, yeah, at the same time. Oh man, they're so cool. There's none that I can think of that I would really think would be that scary, right? I mean, if you get a bad Sasquatch who's going to chase you and throw rocks at you, yeah, you're going to be in, I mean, you're going to have a bad time. <clears throat> yeah. But, but all I mean, the others, for the most part, they don't really attack. <clears throat> like the chupacabra is small enough, I could just punt that little fucker across the yard. Right. <laughs> Fresno Nightcrawler obviously is on, is on the level of petting zoo. I for love us. them. So I feel much. like I feel like you're in more you're in you're in greater danger around a, a, an ill-tempered llama than you are oh, the yeah. Fresno Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. I would they're do so sweet. anything to hang out with a Fresno Nightcrawler. God, they're so cool. They're so cute. I think I might have mentioned it to you, but I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast that I want, like... So I've got, like, this style of tattoo for my whole right arm. Um, it's a trash polka inspired, for those that know what it is. But I want to keep that going, and I want to do my whole right leg in that style, but do, like, cryptids throughout the whole leg. Because I've already got, like, a huge Mothman one. And I want to do, like, a ring of Fresno Nightcrawlers... Like, at the bottom, where they're all just, like, walking in a line, just hanging out. And I was thinking about doing the Van Meter Visitor, like, right under my knee, like a big bat. <laughs> I've got ideas, man. I want to do a whole cryptid leg. And then you're going to be like, do you want to see Bigfoot? Oh, and they're like, where's Bigfoot? And then you drop your pants. Oh, no. No. <laughs> is that where this is going? No. This is like an elaborate pickup line. No, it's like, not anything. You want to check out wanted... the Yeti? Oh, my God. I just wanted cool monsters. I call this on one the leg. Yowie. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're abominable. I am abominable. Uh, anyway, let's get back to the story. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it, yes. 
So, as soon as the very next night, the beast was back in town again. Jesus Christ, here it comes. Yes, and this is a pretty small town. Um, there's I've only seen like one or two images of it, but it looks exactly like an old western tv show like the rickety old buildings all like crammed next to each other with nothing but dirt around nice. and it's like bars and doctors and like just nothing it's all really shitty yeah. like i mean it's 1903 what do you yeah, it's over 100 years ago so yeah yeah In also iowa. it's iowa <laughs> like so the beast is back in town again this time it was reported as seeing being seen Leaping from rooftop, rooftop to rooftop, spreading its horrible odor. And this time it was seen by two other respected members of the town, the doctor and the banker. These two men saw the beast at different times during the night, but it was the same night. Uh, the doctor was seeing it on the roofs and for some fucking reason uh, also tried to shoot at it. And the banker uh, named Peter Dunn saw it on the ground, like, walking around, and shot at it, too. Because mm-hmm. these guys don't fuck around. They see something, and they just go for the gun. This is that Wild West shit. This is what Texas is going to turn into. You see something spooky, you no questions, just shoot. Shoot right? on sight. Exactly. So during this one night, it is seen by the doctor who shoots at it, and then it's seen by the banker who also shoots at it, and then eventually it flies away. But the interesting thing about the banker Peter Dunn's uh, experience was that he was actually able to see a footprint in the dirt, and he made a plaster cast oh, I love it. of the visitor's massive footprint left in the dirt. What he saw was a large three-toed footprint that made a cast pretty clearly, only further spreading terror through the town on only the second day of its visits. So, day one. Guy goes outside, sees a monster, shoots at it. Day two, two people see a monster, shoot at it. And then we get the plaster cast. And then the very next day, a man known as O.V. White, who is known throughout the town for being an incredible marksman, referred to as, quote, a dead eye with a gun. Holy shit. Yeah. Got some gunslinger shit. He came outside one night. Uh, upon hearing a bizarre noise, and what he saw was the most horrifying image that I could possibly imagine this thing doing, which was crouching on a telephone pole, staring directly at him. I'm not okay with that. (laughs) And after seeing this, like so many others, Mm -hmm. he decided that the best choice of action would be to shoot at it and try to kill it. Now, he fired off a few well-placed rounds just because he's a fucking gunslinger and he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Apparently so. Uh, But again, the monster just shrugged him off and was seen leaping from house to house like a kangaroo to to flee the attack. But it was during this night, uh, or during its fleeing this time, Mm -hmm. that it was also seen by a store owner named Sidney Gregg, as well as a local high school teacher who described it as a, quote, antediluvian monster ain't that a five dollar word I'm telling you hell yeah she's like been waiting her entire life to use that I she's know. like oh my god my time has come oh my god the stars aligned for her mm-hmm. yeah so again 
every one of these three nights, it has been shot at and now seen by a whole bunch of different people. You know, you have a whole bunch of, like, minor people that are seeing this, but we're getting most of the accounts from the more respected members of the town, which lended a lot of credibility to it at the time. Because, I mean, you've got doctors, bankers, shop owners, teachers, yeah, not, not just, just like the, the local drunks. I was about to say that! You <laughs> <laughs> nice! Not just the town wacko. Exactly. But we are now at three straight days of terror from the Van Meter visitor. Uh, the town folks finally, finally did what I have been waiting to report on for all three seasons of this show. We're finally getting an angry mob. Angry mob time, baby! And it's not from Texas? And it's not from Texas! You'd think. Oh my god. But finally, after three straight days of being terrorized by this monster that's doing nothing other than just hanging out and looking at shit, they formed the angry mob. He's not even bothering anybody. No, he's literally just showing up on people's houses and walking around. It's no big deal. He's just there and everybody sees him and is like, oh, you know what I should do? Blow its brains out. It's not like... It's not even like he's taking shits on people's cars or anything. No, he's just hanging out. Like he does some weird, creepy shit, like stand on a telephone pole and just stare at him. Be he'll go away. Exactly. Just don't feed him. <laughs> it's like it's a like, stray cat. It's like, I know. It's like if you have a possum in your in your backyard. It's like, <laughs> like he's out there. He's eating grubs. He's not going to bother anybody. Just leave him alone. He'll 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 go off. He may eat a drunk or two, but as like, long as he cares? doesn't get into your house and start chewing on your wiring, which I'm not even sure a possum. Or the Van Meter visitor is going to do either of those things. Probably so, not. Especially probably not. not in 1903. Probably not. Exactly. It's not like he's going to go and mess up your digital cable, you know, He's not going to knock down your fucking dish network. Yeah. Dish. So what's the what's the problem? Do we really need an angry mob? Whatever. No. But we finally got one. And I'm, I'm just, just excited here. to have you know, one anyway. Like the Lorax. I speak for the cryptids. <laughs> I want that on a shirt. I speak for the cryptids. I, sp- I am the Lorax. I speak for the cryptids. Yes. All right, so they finally formed their angry mob. The few townsfolk took up their torches and their pitchforks and their many, many guns. And they gathered themselves in true angry mob fashion. They went out to kill the thing that they didn't understand, as white people are wont to do. They always do. We always do this shit. Yep. If you're not oppressing women and enforcing patriarchy, you're killing things you don't understand. Exactly. That's the American dream. Oh boy, that's your American dream. That just manifest destiny. Hey, not mine. I weirdos. I don't want to claim that shit. All right, so they finally get their mob together and leading this mob. Uh, or okay, and led by their angry mob hero, Mister J. L. Platt Jr. They stormed to the northeastern part of town, where it was reported that a bizarre sound was coming from. Can you guess it? the roof an old abandoned coal mine oh my god fucking hitter after hitter with this story man you couldn't write a better story for this no you could not it is so good so upon heading to the mouth of the mine the bizarre and horrible shrieking they heard was described by the local des moines paper as follows quote Presently, the noise opened up again, as though Satan and a regiment of imps were coming forth for battle. End quote. And that ain't some cool shit. <laughs> we don't know what side of that battle we'd be on, but whatever. Keep going. <laughs> uh, let's see. And from the darkness of the pit 
emerged the Van Meter Visitor, a great winged beast with a glowing horn and horrible shriek, and with it was another of the same kind, a smaller Van Meter Visitor, perhaps a child or a mate. I'm not okay with this. This is like the plot of Mac and Me. <laughs> Fuck off! No! Oh, no. They're just trying... I'm too upset about this. They're, they're ju- just trying to nest. All they're trying to do is hang out. And they're living in an abandoned coal mine. Not bothering anyone. They weren't doing shit to anybody. Not bothering They didn't steal anyone. any townsfolk, right? They didn't eat anybody. They didn't eat any children or goats. They didn't attack anybody. They didn't even attack the livestock. It's not like Mr. Whiskers couldn't be found. Exactly. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, but... They show up to this thing's house, guns blazing, and then it, sh- it comes outside with its little buddy, and it's like, hey, what the fuck? Oh, God. And with a horrible scream and a streak of blinding light, the beast escaped. The two of them escaped together. Oh, they God. flew off into the sky. Only to return to the same spot because it was their fucking home in the next or the next morning, where the mob still waited. Are you serious? They stuck around and waited for it because they wanted to rid the skies of the demons forever. I don't enjoy this. Keep going. <sighs> Cryptid Conservation. Cryptid Conservation Corps. CCC. Triple C. That's us. So. The two Van Meter visitors land back at their home and they are greeted with the fury and the ammunition of a small army that are just unloading a hail of bullets upon them because the white people in the angry mob just want to kill what they don't understand, right? But... When the dust finally settled after their barrage of attacks... I'm glad there was a butt because I was really upset. Both monsters remained standing. Good. Because they were able to shrug off all the bullets from the previous attacks. <laughs> Still alive, motherfuckers. Exactly. So the dust settles. Everybody's fucking out of ammunition at this point. But these monsters just shrugged off the bullets as if they were nothing more than a mild irritant. And then can you guess what they did next? After being attacked by these townsfolk, they peacefully over and went over back again. into the coal mine. They crawled deep into the heart of the coal mine, never to be seen again. They didn't even attack the people that were shooting them. They never once retaliated or attacked or harmed anybody. They landed, they got shot at by every member of the town that could hold a gun, and then they just crawled back into their coal mine, and they were never seen again after that point. That's it. That's the Van Meter monster. It's just a peaceful, weird little man who shows up, hangs out, gets shot at, then has somebody break into his house and fucking murder him and his little friend, and then he just goes back home. That's it. So, so I'm just glad they weren't killed. I mean, yeah, me too, of course. But yeah, that I mean, that's entirely it. That's the whole story. The Van Meter monster. Poor little guy. But see, I was researching this one and I was like, man, this is definitely a cryptid I would get tattooed on me. He didn't do anything. He didn't hurt anybody. He's just a cute little friend. It's true. Jersey just doesn't ever hurt anybody. 
Exactly. They're just hanging out, man. Well, okay, the Jersey Devil did hurt some people. Oh, that's true. No. He hurt a he hurt a handful of people. Well, they probably deserved it. They definitely did deserve it. Let's, so did these people. Let's be honest. But it kind of made me wonder, you know, because there was only the one monster that was flying around, and then they went to the coal mine, and then two monsters were there, and then they went into the coal mine and disappeared. What's in the coal mine? I know. Was it a nest? Was it an extra-dimensional portal? Yeah, they're ultra-terrestrials. Ultra-terrestrials. They went through their thinny, back mm. to their universe. I'm glad they weren't hurt. I mean, yeah, me too. I mean, I'm sure they They're were like, hurt wow, emotionally. We were going we to spread peace and love and technological advancements, but you guys are dicks. Yeah. So we're going to leave you here. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, man. <laughs> that was an emotional roller coaster. I know. It was so much sadder than some of the other really sad things that we've talked about. Just because they're not doing anything. They're not hurting anybody. They're just trying to hang out and have a good time. I know. They're not hurting anyone. They didn't do anything wrong. <sighs> Poor little guys. I know. But, like you said, they weren't hurt, so I guess... All's well, it ends well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure they're still a little bit peeved about it, but they didn't even attack back. Makes me feel better that everyone in Van Meter who was involved in that attack is dead. Long dead. That is an excellent point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that. Uh, thank you for coming to my TED talk about I loved it. this poor little guy. I know. We'll have to post a photo of the Van Meter monster because they look cute. He looks pretty funky. I, I like him a lot. But yeah, that's it. So I suppose we will move on to our short break now. That's right. And we'll be back with my crazy topic. And we have returned from the grave. And we're back. We are back. We're back, bitches. So remember I told you last week how there was a drive-by shooting? Yes, you did. Right. It was crazy. Yeah. So um, there is a domestic terrorist organization here in New Braunfels. Is it white supremacists? No, it's worse. Oh. It's called the Moms of New Braunfels. Oh, God. It's a Facebook group filled with Karens. Disgusting. A group of Karens is called a complaint. (laughs) This is the mother of all Karens. I mean, it's just... They're so horrible. They hate each other. They hate themselves. They talk shit about everyone in there. There's a Moms of New Braunfels uncensored Facebook group that is filled with people who are even far more extreme. They really are domestic terrorists. They really are. They will ruin people's lives all the time. Oh, I'm sure. I I have zero doubt in my heart about that. Guess who is just balls deep in all of the cheesement, all of the tea, all of the gossip in Moms of New Braunfels? Is it Amy? It's my kid's mom. Yeah. She's into it. So, like, two hours after that drive-by shooting bullshit happened, and it was very benign. It was very, I mean, it it, it was like, it wasn't exciting at all, basically. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't exciting. She messages me, and she says, was there a shooting? And I said, what are you talking about? I always like to give her shit. I'm like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? She's like, well, the mom's new brothels. And I'm like, how many times have I told you I don't want to hear anything about the mom's new brothels? <laughs> yeah, honestly. And so then it just, you know, those people have moved, the family's moved out of that apartment that's across the street from my place. So they're not even there anymore. But yeah, they hear about it all the time. She knew about it. She wanted to be all involved in it. I give her little, I give her as little, little information as I can because I like to mess with her that way. <laughs> not going to feed into that bullshit. No, that's fucking stupid. Because all they do is gossip with each other and talk shit about each other. And I mean, it's just horrible. 
what you should have done was start a disinformation campaign and just give her like just make this elaborate crazy story say it was like you know this group of roving bikers and they came through hunting down anyone with you know sport bikes and say you just narrowly missed a chance of getting killed just make it sound real outlandish get real weird with it i should have because that's a good answer that's a good that's a good story Mm-hmm. yeah i'll start that <laughs> there'll be another chance i trust me there'll be another chance are you saying you're gonna you're gonna make a shooting no are you gonna are you gonna commit a shooting no absolutely not okay Absolutely not. Cut that out. All right. No, nah, I'm kidding. You're not wide enough. No, I'm not. I don't care that much. <clears throat> Dylan, are you ready to talk about Jack the Ripper? Oh, fuck. Yes, <laughs> I am. <laughs> fuck. That's. Yeah. Here's the funny part. In the pantheon of serial killers, obviously Jack the Ripper is up there when it comes to notoriety. But at the same time, and we know this from last season, or maybe this season. No, we know this from last season. There is an order to this the number of victims mm-hmm. and jack the ripper doesn't even hit the top 10 oh not even no. the top 50 there very, are people very out there few actual victims but it's a cool story but it's a cool story and it's shrouded in a lot of mystery so a lot of this is going to be apocryphal parts of it are going to be legend and urban legend but we're just going with it because everybody knows parts of the story of jack the ripper and the reason that i thought about this was because we were just watching from hell which you weren't even watching that much no because it's not that good of a movie no but anyway we were watching From Hell, which has Johnny Depp in it, and is surprisingly not directed by Tim Burton because you just both of those guys have hard ons <laughs> for each other. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, directed by Tim Burton. I wonder who's going to be in it. Probably Helen a bottom Carter, Carter and, and Johnny, Johnny Depp because they can't do anything without the three of them. Anyway, so everybody knows Jack the Ripper was never identified, but he was a serial killer. And he was uh, active in a largely impoverished area of Whitechapel, the Whitechapel District of London, back in 1888. Um, in both the criminal case files and the contemporary jur- contemporary journalistic accounts, the killer was called the Whitechapel Murderer and Leather Apron, more than Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. But we all know him as Jack the Ripper. Okay, The Leather Apron's pretty cool. Leather Apron sounds cool. Attacks ascribed to Jack the Ripper typically involved female prostitutes who lived and worked in the slums of the East End of London. Their throats were cut prior to abdominal mutilations. The removal of internal organs from at least three of the victims led to proposals that their killer had some sort of had some anatomical or surgical knowledge. Rumors that the murders were connected intensified between September and October of 1888, and numerous letters were received by media outlets and Scotland Yard from individuals purporting to be the murderer. The name Jack the Ripper originated in a letter written by an individual claiming to be the murderer that was disseminated in the media. This letter is widely believed to have been a hoax and may have been written by journalists in an attempt to heighten interest in the story and increase their newspaper circulation. Mm. But there was one letter, the From Hell letter, received by George Lusk of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee uh, that came with a half of a preserved human kidney. That was supposedly taken from one of the victims. The public came increasingly to believe in a single serial killer known as Jack the Ripper, mainly because of both the extraordinarily brutal nature of the murders and media coverage of the crimes. Because it was all over the place. Oh, yeah. This kind of thing sells newspapers. Extensive newspaper coverage bestowed widespread and enduring international notoriety on the Ripper and the legend solidified. 
a police investigation into a series of 11 brutal murders committed in Whitechapel and Spitalfields. Why would you name anything Spitalfield? <laughs> That's gross. Oh my god. These were these happened between 1888 and 1899. Um they were but uh some of these murders weren't able to be connected uh to conclusively to the 1888 murders, some of the stuff that happened afterwards. There are five victims that we're going to be talking about. Marianne Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. These are known as the Canonical Five, and their murders between August 31st and November 9th of 1888 are often considered to be the most likely to be linked. Okay. The murders of all these people were never solved, and the legends surrounding these crimes became a combination of historical research, folklore, and pseudo history yes so here's what happened back then in the mid 19th century britain experienced an influx of irish immigrants who swelled the populations of the major cities they were having a potato famine including the east end of london if i'm wrong about that your dad will be the one to tell me (laughs) we're not impressed with your with your ability to go google things right after we talk about them okay i'm not impressed keep doing it keep doing it old man all right. From nice. 1882, Jewish refugee, refugees uh, from Tsarist Russia and other areas of Eastern Europe are also immigrating into the same area. So you got all these immigrants coming. Lots of people. Lots and lots of folks. The parish of Whitechapel in London's East End became increasingly overcrowded with the population increasing to approximately 80,000 inhabitants by 1888. That's a lot now, even more back then. Mm-hmm. Work and housing conditions worsened and a significant economic underclass developed. 55% of children born in the East End died before they were five years old. Robbery, violence, and alcohol dependency were commonplace, and the endemic poverty drove many women to prostitution to survive on a daily basis. Gross. It's horrible for them to have to do that. Yeah. In October of 1888, London's Metropolitan Police Service estimated there were 62 brothels and 1,200 women working as prostitutes in just Whitechapel, with approximately 8,500 people residing in the 233 common lodging houses within Whitechapel every night. That's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine the smell? Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure there's running water at that point, so they were probably pissing in pots and throwing it out into the street. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's a funny thing. I was telling you about this when we were watching the movie. Okay, the nightly price for a single bed in one of these lodging houses was four pence, which is four pennies. But you could sleep on a lean-to for mm. $2 mm-hmm. or two cents a person. So they would hang a rope across the room, and you would just, if you were drunk, you would just lean lean over that, which is where the term hungover or hangover came from. Which was cool because I had no idea that that's what it meant before mm-hmm. Jake told me. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. So all of these economic problems in Whitechapel were accompanied by a steady rise in social tensions. Between 86 and 89, frequent demonstrations led to police intervention and public unrest, such as Bloody Sunday in 1887. Anti-Semitism, crime, nativism, racism, social disturbance, and severe deprivation influenced public perceptions that Whitechapel was a notorious den of immorality. Such perceptions were strengthened in the autumn of 1888 when the series of vicious and grotesque murders attributed to Jack the Ripper received unprecedented coverage in the media. Okay. The large number of attacks against women in the East End during this time adds uncertainty to how many victims were actually murdered by the same individual. Eleven separate murders stretching from April 3rd of 1888 to February 13th of 1891 
were included in a London Metropolitan Police Service investigation and were known collectively as, in the police docket as the Whitechapel murders. Okay. Opinions vary as to whether these murders should be linked to the same culprit, but five of the 11 were known as the canonical five, and they are widely believed to be the work of the Ripper. Most experts point to the deep slash wounds to the throat, followed by extensive abdominal and genital area mutilation, the removal of internal organs, and the progressive facial mutilations as the distinctive features of the Ripper's modus operandi. Yikes. Loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. We, it's the behavioral science aspect of it. The first two cases in the Whitechapel murders, uh, those of Emma Elizabeth Smith and Martha Tabram, are not included in the canonical five. Like I told you, there's a couple of out there. Smith, Emma Elizabeth Smith, was robbed and sexually assaulted in Osborne Street at approximately 1.30 a.m. on April 3rd of 1888. She had been bludgeoned about the face and received a cut to her ear. A blunt object was also inserted into her vagina, rupturing her peritoneum. Ow! Sorry, guys. That one's a yikes. Mm-hmm. She developed peritonitis and died the following day at the London Hospital, of course. Oh. It's, it's just gross there. Just, I mean, yeah. Can you? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Can you imagine how horrible it would be to have to go to a hospital during that time period? Nobody raised, nobody, nobody washed their hands. Mm-mm. You'd have doctors with lab coats that were just covered in blood. Yeah. It was a thing. And nobody's nobody's washing hands. Nobody's cleaning. I mean, the smell would be bad everywhere, but the smell of a whole bunch of dead bodies and gross blood-covered doctors spreading their nasty germs and shit all around. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So the victim, Smith... Stated that she had been attacked by two or three men, one of whom she described as a teenager. This attack was linked to the later murders by the press. But most authors attribute Smith's murder to um, an East End gang, um, you know, just violence Mm -hmm. unrelated to the Ripper case. Uh, Martha Tabram was murdered on a staircase landing in George Yard, Whitechapel, on August 7th of 1888. She suffered 39 stab wounds to her throat, lungs, heart liver, spleen, stomach, and abdomen, with additional knife wounds inflicted to her breasts and vagina. I'm sorry, guys. This is just how it is. Yeah, also a yikes. I know. All but one of Tabram's wounds had been inflicted with a blade instrument such as a pen knife, and with one possible exception, all the wounds had been inflicted by a right-handed individual. Tabram had not been raped. The savagery of this murder... The lack of obvious motive and the closeness of the location and date to the later canonical Ripper murders led police to link this murder to those later committed by Jack the Ripper. So they thought this was a precursor. Mm-hmm. However, this murder differs from later canonical murders because although Tabram had, Tabram had been repeatedly stabbed, she had not suffered any slash wounds to her throat or abdomen like the, like the canonical five. Many experts do not connect, connect Tabram's murder with the later murders because of the differences in these wound patterns. Okay. So, let's go on to the to the five. Marianne Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. The body of Marianne Nichols was discovered around 3.40 in the morning on August 31st, Friday of 1888 in Bucks Row, Whitechapel. Nichols had, been, had last been seen alive approximately one hour before the discovery of her body by a Miss Emily Holland with whom she had previously shared a bed at a common lodging house in Thrall Street in Spitalfields. Um, her throat was severed 
by two deep cuts, one of which completely severed all the tissue down to the vertebrae. Her vagina had been stabbed twice, and the lower part of her abdomen was partially ripped open by a deep, jagged wound, causing her bowels to protrude. Several other incisions inflicted to both sides of her abdomen had also been caused by the same knife. Each of these wounds had been inflicted in a downward thrusting manner. You've got a man here who hates women. Yeah, obviously. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. This is like better than dra- Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Mm. Although those are really good books. Yes. One week later on um, Saturday, September 8th of 1888, the body of Annie Chapman was discovered at approximately 6 a.m. near the steps at the doorway of the backyard of... God, that's a lot of stuff there. 29 Hanbury Street. She was in the backyard doorway. As in the case of Marianne Nichols, the throat was severed by two deep cuts. Her abdomen had been cut entirely open with a section of the flesh from her stomach being placed upon her left shoulder and another section of skin and flesh plus her small intestines were removed and placed above her right shoulder. Someone someone was just disassembling her in the fucking street. How do they have time to do this? I don't know. This is not easy work. This is ridiculous. Chapman's autopsy also revealed that her uterus and sections of her bladder and vagina had been removed. (sighs) At the inquest into Chapman's murder, Elizabeth Long described having seen Chapman standing outside uh, this 29 Hanbury Street at about 5.30 a.m. in the company of a dark-haired man wearing a brown deerstalker hat and a dark overcoat. Um, Deerstalker hat. That's what what Sherlock Holmes historically wore. That's what that looks like. According to this witness, the man had asked Chapman the question, will you? To which Chapman had replied, yes. So obviously, you know, soliciting for services. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Eddowes were both killed in the early morning hours of uh, Sunday, September 30th of 1888. Stride's body was discovered at approximately 1 a.m. in Dutzfield's yard off of Burner Street in Whitechapel. The cause of death was a single clear-cut incision measuring six inches across her neck which had severed her left carotid artery and her trachea but before terminating beneath her right jaw, which if it starts on the left and goes to the right, that's because the person is right-handed. Right-handed, yeah. The absence of any further mutilations to her body had led to an uncertainty as to whether Stride's murder was committed by the Ripper or whether he was interrupted during the attack. Several witnesses later informed police that they had seen Stride in the company of a man or uh, in or close to Burner Street on the evening of September 29th and in the early hours of September 30th. But each gave differing descriptions. Some said her companion was fair, others dark. Some said that he was shabbily dressed, others said he was well dressed. So we got a lot of hearsay going on here. Eddowes's body was found in Mitre Square in the city of London three quarters of an hour after the discovery of Elizabeth Stride. Her throat was severed and her abdomen was ripped open by a long, deep, and jagged wound before her intestines had been placed over her right shoulder again. The left kidney and the major part of the uterus had been removed, and her face had been disfigured with her nose severed, her cheeks slashed, and cuts measuring a quarter of an inch and a half an inch, respectively, vertically incised through each of her eyelids. Mm. Jesus. Mm. A triangular incision, the apex of which points towards Eddowes' eye, had also been carved upon each of her cheeks, and a section of the auricle and the lobe of her right ear was later removed was later removed from her clothing. The police surgeon who conducted the postmortem upon Eddowes' body stated his his opinion these mutilations would have taken at least five minutes to complete. Yeah, no shit. 
<laughs> yes. I'm telling you, how do people have time to do this? It doesn't make any sense. Mm-mm. A local cigarette salesman named Joseph Lawind had passed through the square with two friends shortly before the murder, and he described seeing a fair-haired man of shabby appearance with a woman who may have been Edos. Lawin's companions were unable to confirm his description. Oh, my God. The murders of Stride and Edos ultimately became known as the double event. Nobody is a reliable fucking witness. This is the worst part of London I've ever heard of. Absolutely not. God damn it. Is anybody paying attention? Fucking no. Obviously not. Everybody's too busy getting with hookers and drinking enough absinthe to get fucking looped out of their mind. Or doing opium or whatever the fuck. I have no idea what's going on, but nobody can get it. Okay, Neither so. They. It's a mess. A section of Eddowes' bloodied apron was found at the entrance to a tenement in Golston Street in Whitechapel at 2.55 a.m. A chalk inscription upon the wall directly above this piece of apron read, The Jews are the men that will not that will not be blamed for nothing. That makes no sense, and they misspelled Jews. Mm-hmm. Whatever. This graffiti became known as the Golston Street Graffiti. The message appears to imply that a Jew or Jews in general are responsible for the series of murders, but it is unclear whether the graffiti was written by the murderer on dropping the section of apron or was merely incidental and nothing to do with the case. It's just so fucking crazy. Such graffiti was commonplace in Whitechapel, so there we go. Police Commissioner Charles Warren feared that the graffiti might spark anti-Semitic riots and ordered the writing washed away before dawn, which we saw in the movie. The extensively, I'm not even halfway done with this. It is just, just strap yourselves in, baby. (laughs) The extensively mutilated and disemboweled body of Mary Jane Kelly was discovered lying on the bed in the single room where she lived at 13 Miller's Court off Dorset Street in Spitalfields at 1045 a.m. on November 9th of 1888. Her face had been hacked beyond all recognition. No. With her throat severed down to the spine in the abdomen almost emptied of its organs. Her uterus, kidneys, and one breast had been placed beneath her head and other viscera from her body placed beside her foot, about the bed, and the sections of her abdomen and thighs upon a bedside table. The heart was missing from the crime scene. It's just fucking crazy. Good lord. Each of the canonical five murders were perpetrated at night, on or close to a weekend, either at the end of a month or a week or so after. The mutilations became increasingly severe as the series of murders proceeded. Yeah, except for that of, I know. Except for that of Stride, whose attacker may have been interrupted. Nichols was not missing any organs. Chapman's uterus and sections of her bladder and vagina were taken. Eddowes had her uterus and left kidney removed, and her face was mutilated. And Kelly's body was extensively eviscerated with her face, gashed in all directions, and the tissue of her neck severed to the bone. Although the heart was the sole body organ missing from this crime scene. In Good movie, heavens. It's just crazy. Oh, my God. Historically, the belief that the that these canon, five canonical murders were committed by the same perpetrator is derived from contemporary documents which link them together to the exclusion of others. In 1894, Sir Melville McNaughton, assistant chief constable of the Metropolitan Police Service and head of the Criminal Investigation Department. I hope he feels important with all that bullshit. <laughs> I know, that's too much. Too many titles, man. <laughs> what? Too many titles for a guy who never found Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Who right. never solved this case. Right. Piece of shit. He says the Whitechapel murderer had five victims and five victims only. That's what he said. Oh, well, look out. You almost cracked the case here. Fucking clown. I know. Similarly, the canonical five victims were linked together in a, in a letter written by a police surgeon named Thomas Bond to Robert Anderson, head of the London CID, on November of 1888. 
Some researchers have have posited that some of the murders were undoubtedly the work of a single killer, but an unknown larger number of killers acting independently were responsible for the other crimes. Um, authors Stuart P. Evans and Donald Rumbelow argued that the canonical five is a ripper myth and that three cases, Nichols, Chapman, and Eddowes, can definitely be linked to the same perpetrator, but that less certainty exists as to whether Stride and Kelly were also murdered by the same individual. Conversely, Others suppose that the six murders between Tabram and Kelly were the work of a single killer. Dr. Percy Clark, assistant to the examining pathologist, linked only three of the murders and thought that the others were perpetrated by weak-minded individuals induced to emulate the crime. Copycats. Mm-hmm. McNaughton did not join the police force until a year after the murders, and his memorandum contains serious factual errors about possible suspects. There you go. Mary Jane Kelly is consider, is generally considered to be the Ripper's final victim, and it is assumed that the crimes ended because of the culprit's death, imprisonment, institutionalization, or immigration. The Whitechapel murders file details another four murders that occurred after the canonical five, um, but they're not linked. So, do you want to hear about the other the other ones who are not linked? Yeah, might as well. All right, here we go. These ones are Rose Milet, Alice McKenzie, The Pension Street Torso. Oh, my God. I can't believe Good I almost Lord. went over this and didn't read it. And Francis Cole. So we're going to start off with 26-year-old Rose Milet, who was found dead in Clark's Yard, High Street, on December 20th of 1888. There was no sign of a struggle, and the police believed that she either had accidentally hanged herself by her collar while in a drunken stupor or committed suicide. However... Faint markings left by a cord on one side of her neck suggested Milet had been strangled. And the inquest into Milet's death, the jury returned the verdict of murder. So that one's a little bit iffy. But we're going to go on. Alice McKenzie was murdered shortly after midnight on July 17th of 1889 in Whitechapel. She had, she had suffered two stab wounds to her neck and her left carotid artery had been severed. Several minor bruises and cuts were found on her body, which also bore a seven long inch superficial wound extending from her left breast to her navel. One of the examining pathologists, Thomas Bond, again, believed this to be a ripper murder, uh, though his colleague, George Baxter Phillips, who had examined the bodies of the three previous victims, disagreed. Opinions among writers are also divided between these two suspects. Those who suspect Mackenzie's murder copied the modus operandi of Jack the Ripper to deflect suspicion from himself, and those who ascribe this murder to Jack the Ripper. So there's a lot of speculation there. Mm -hmm. Here we go with the Pension Street torso. Good lord, I'm so excited. This was a decomposing headless and legless torso of an unidentified woman aged somewhere between 30 and 40 discovered beneath a railway arch in Pynchon Street in Whitechapel on September 10th of 1889. Bruising about the victim's neck, uh, no, back, hip, and arm indicated that, uh, that she had been extensively beaten shortly before her death. The victim's abdomen was also extensively mutilated, although her genitals had not been wounded. She appeared to have been killed approximately one day prior to the discovery of her torso. The dismembered sections of the body are believed to have been transported to the railway arch hidden under an old chemise. Crazy. Wow. Just a torso. Just a torso. That's... Okay. It would be horrible to find any part of a body at any point. But can you imagine finding just a torso? That's the worst possible part of a body to find separated from the rest of it finding a head is creepy hands arms legs creepy a torso is the worst possible thing that you can find separated from the rest of the body parts Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh my fucking god 
Yeah, no kidding. It's just insane. That that's that's all they found of her. Ooh. Can you imagine coming across that? You're just walking your dog. Oh my god. This is the last body in this group. At 2.15 in the morning on February 13th of 1891, a constable named Ernest Thompson discovered a 25-year-old prostitute named Frances Coles lying beneath a railway arch in Whitechapel. Her throat had been deeply cut, but her body was not mutilated, leading some to believe Thompson had disturbed her assailant. Coles was still alive, although she died before medical help could arrive. A 53-year-old stoker named James Thomas Sadler had earlier been seen drinking with Coles, and the two, two were known to have argued approximately three hours before her death. Mm. Sadler was arrested by the police and charged with a murder. He was briefly thought to be the ripper, but was later discharged from court for lack of evidence. Okay. So he never faced it. Mm-hmm. All right. Where are we going from here? There's some other alleged victims. In addition to the 11 Whitechapel murders that I've already listed, yeah, commentators have linked other attacks to the Ripper. In the case of Fairy Fay, it is unclear whether this attack was real or fabricated as a part of the Ripper lore. Fairy Fay was a name was the nickname given to an unidentified woman whose body was allegedly found in a doorway close to Commercial Road on December 26th of 1887, after a stake had been thrust through her abdomen. But there were no recorded murders in Whitechapel at around Christmas of 87. Fairy Face seems to have been created through a confused press report of the murder of Emma Elizabeth Smart, who had a stick or other blunt objects shoved into her vagina. Mm. Most, most authors agree that the victim Fairy Fay never existed. A 38-year-old widow named Annie Millwood was admitted to the Whitechapel Workhouse Infirmary with numerous stab wounds to her leg and lower tos- to her legs and lower tors- torso on February 25th of 1888. She informed staff that she had been attacked with a clasp knife by an unknown man. She was later discharged but died from apparently natural causes on March 31st. Millwood was later postulated to be Ripper's first victim, although this attack cannot be definitively linked to the perpetrator. Another suspected pre-canonical victim was a young dressmaker named Ada Wilson, who reportedly survived being stabbed twice in the neck with a clasp knife upon the doorstep of her home in Bow on March 28th of 1888. A further suspected pre-canonical victim, Annie Farmer, resided in the same lodging house as Martha Tabram and reported an attack on November 21st of 88. She had received a superficial cut to her throat, although an unknown man with blood on his mouth and hands had run out from this lodging house shouting, look at what she has done, before two witnesses heard Farmer scream. Her wound was possibly self-inflicted. The Whitehall Mystery was a term coined for the discovery of a headless torso of a woman on October of 88 in the basement of the new Metropolitan Police Headquarters being built upon Whitehall. An arm and shoulder belonging to the body were previously discovered discovered floating in the River Thames near Pimlico on September 11th, and the left leg was subsequently discovered buried near where the torso was found on October 17th. Good God. I know. Also, an arm and shoulder. Who doesn't cut off the arm just like at the bicep? Like who takes a whole ass shoulder too? What the fuck? This is insane, bro. Goodness. Oh my God. Both the Whitehall mystery and the Pynchon Street case may have been part of a series of murders known as the Thames Mysteries. Thames. 
River Thames, committed by a single serial killer dubbed the Torso Killer. It is debatable whether Jack the Ripper and the Torso Killer were the same person or separate serial killers active in the same area. The modus operandi of the Torso Killer differed from that of the Ripper, and police at the time discounted any connection between the two. Only one of the four victims linked to the Torso Killer was identified, Elizabeth Jackson. She was a 24-year-old prostitute from Chelsea whose various body parts were collected from the River Thames over a three-week period Oh, three weeks. Oh, my God. On December 29th of 88, the body of a seven-year-old boy named John Gill was found in a stable block in Manningham, Bradford. Gill had been missing since December 27th, so two days before. His legs had been severed, his abdomen opened, and his intestines partially drawn out, and his heart and one ear was removed. Oh, I love that for him. (sighs) Similarities with the Ripper murders led to the press speculation that the Ripper had killed him. The boy's employer... Um, who was a 23-year-old milkman named William Barrett, was twice arrested for the murder, but was released due to insufficient evidence. No one was ever prosecuted. Carrie Brown was strangled with clothing and then mutilated with a knife on April 24th of, 80, of 1891 with, um, in New York City. Her body was found with a large tear through her groin area and superficial cuts upon her legs and back. No organs were removed from the scene, though an ovary was found upon the bed either purposely removed or unintentionally dislodged. At the time, the murder was compared to those in Whitechapel, though the Metropolitan Police eventually ruled out any connection. Yeah, so did I. (laughs) Well, yeah. Um, Okay, you probably have it, and I don't know if you're going to talk about it. If you are, I'll cut this out. But um, I heard a long time ago a theory that H.H. Holmes was Jack the Ripper. and And then he moved. Yeah, when he moved over here, that was when they stopped, the murder stopped happening in Whitechapel. Uh, which i thought was a pretty cool fucking idea like i don't know if that's just like you know fan theories or if there's any actual like evidence to that other than like the timing and the murdery bits but like it's a cool thing to think about yeah it would be weird to see if it was true the vast majority of the city of london police files relating to their investigation into the Whitechapel murders were destroyed by the blitz in world war ii Hmm. The surviving Metropolitan Police Files allowed a detailed view of the investigative procedures in the Victorian area. A large team of policemen conducted house-to-house inquiries throughout Whitechapel. Forensic material was collected and examined. Suspects were identified, traced, and either examined more closely or eliminated from the inquiry. Modern police work follows this same pattern. More than 2,000 people were interviewed. Upwards of 300 people were investigated and 80 people were detained. Following the murders of Stride and Eddowes, the commissioner of the city police, whose name was Sir James Fraser, offered a 500-pound reward for the arrest of the Ripper. The investigation was initially conducted by the Metropolitan Police um, Criminal Investigation Department um, and was uh, overseen by a detective inspector named Edmund Reed. After the murder of Nichols, Detective Inspectors Frederick Aberline, which is the guy that that's who Johnny Depp plays. Yeah. Henry Moore and Walter Andrews were sent from Central Office at Scotland Yard to assist. The City of London Police were involved under Detective Inspector James McWilliam after the Eddowes murder, which occurred within the City of London. The overall direction of the murder inquiries were hampered by the fact that the newly appointed head of the CID, whose name was Robert Anderson, was on leave in Switzerland. What the fuck, bro? During the time when Chapman, Stride, and Eddowes were killed, this prompted Metropolitan Police Commissioner Sir Charles Warren to appoint Chief Inspector Donald Swanson to conduct to coordinate the inquiry from Scotland Yard. Just a bunch of mess, just bureaucratic nonsense. Yeah. Some of the people they looked into: butchers, 
slaughterers, surgeons, and physicians were suspected because of the manner of the mutilations. A surviving note from Major Henry Smith, an act, the acting commissioner of the city police, indicates that the alibis of local butchers and slaughterers were investigated, with the result that they were eliminated from the inquiry. A report from Inspector Swanson to the Home Office confirms that 76 butchers and slaughterers were visited and that the inquiry encompassed all their employees for the previous six months. Some contemporary figures, including Queen Victoria, thought the pattern of the murders indicated that the culprit was a butcher or cattle drover of one of the London cattle of the cattle boats that plied between London and mainland Europe. Whitechapel was close to the London docks, and usually such boats docked on Thursday or Friday and then departed on Saturday or Sunday. The cattle boats were examined, but the dates of the murders did not coincide with a single boat's movements, and the transfer of crewmen between boats was also ruled out. Okay. So they tried, but they couldn't find it. Couldn't do it. Okay, someone else gets involved. In September 88, a group of volunteer citizens in London's East End formed the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee. They patrolled the streets looking for suspicious characters, partly because of dissatisfaction with the failure of police to apprehend the perpetrator. Same. That makes sense. Uh-huh. I get and that. And also because some of the members were concerned that the murders were affecting businesses in the area. Uh, yeah. Obviously so. It's hard to find a prostitute when all the prostitutes are getting killed. The committee petitioned the government to raise a reward for information leading to the arrest of the killer. Offered, They offered their own reward of 50 pounds for information leading to his capture. And they also hired private detectives to question witnesses independently. Um, at the end of October of 88, Robert Anderson asked police surgeon Thomas Bond to give his opinion on the extent of the murder's surgical skills and knowledge. So this is the criminal profile. The opinion offered by Bond on the character of the Whitechapel murderer is the earliest surviving offender profile. Bond's assessment was based on his own examination of the most extensively mutilated victim and the post-mortem notes from the four previous canonical murders. So he writes... All five murders, no doubt, were committed by the same hand. In the first four, the throats appear to have been cut from left to right. And in the last case, owing to the extensive mutilation, it is possible to say in what direction the final cut was made, the fatal cut. But arterial blood was found on the wall and splashes close to where the woman's head must have been lying. All the circumstances surrounding the murders lead me to form the opinion that the women must have been laying down when murdered, and in every case, their throat was first cut. Bond was strongly opposed to the idea that the murderer possessed any kind of scientific or anatomical knowledge, or even the technical knowledge of a bus butcher or horse slaughterer. In his opinion, the character must have been a man of solitary habits, subject to periodical attacks of homicidal and erotic mania, with the character of the mutilations possibly indicating satiriasis. Um... Both also stated that the homicidal impulses ha- may have developed from a revengeful or brooding condition of the mind or the religious mania that may have been the original disease, but I do not think either hypos- hypothesis is likely. So he just thinks it's like a lust killing. Yeah. Which tracks. I mean, it's it's definitely uh, in some way related to sex. I mean... At very least, mm-hmm. homeboy hates women. Yeah. Uncontrollable or excessive sexual desire in a man. Satyriasis. There is no evidence that the perpetrator engaged in sexual activity with any of the victims, yet psychologists suppose that the penetration of the victims with a knife and leaving them on display in sexually degrading positions with the wounds exposed indicates that the perpetrator derived sexual pleasure from the attacks. This view is challenged by others who dismiss such hypotheses as as an insupportable supposition. 
In addition to the contradictions and unreliability of contemporary accounts, attempts to identify the murderer were hampered by the lack of any surviving forensic evidence. DNA analysis on the extent letters is inconclusive. The available material may have been handled many times and is too contaminated to provide meaningful results. There may have been mutually compatible claims that the DNA evidence points conclusively to two different suspects and the methodology both have also been criticized. The concentration of the killings around weekends and public holidays and within a short distance of each other has indicated that many the, too many that the Ripper was in regular employment and lived locally. Others have thought that the killer was an educated upper-class man, possibly a doctor or an aristocrat, who ventured into Whitechapel from a more well-to-do area. Such theories draw on the cultural perceptions such as fear of the medical profession, mistrust of the modern science, or the exploitation of the poor by the rich. <laughs> Suspects proposed years after the murders include virtually anyone remotely connected to the case by contemporary documents, as well as many famous names who were never considered in the police investigation, including members of the royal family, an artist, and a physician. Everyone alive at the time is now long dead, and modern authors are free to accuse anyone without any need for any supporting medical evidence. Suspects named in contemporary police docu documents include three in Sir Melville McNaughton's 1894 memorandum, but the evidence against these individuals is at best circumstantial. There are many varied theories about the identity and profession of Jack the Ripper, but authorities are not agreed upon any of them, and the number of named suspects reaches over 100. Despite continued interest in the case, the Ripper's identity remains unknown. The term Ripperology was coined to describe the study and the analysis of the Ripper cases, and the murders have inspired numerous works of fiction. Over the course of the Whitechapel murders, the police, newspapers, and other individuals received hundreds of letters regarding the case. Some letters are well-intentioned offers of advice as to how to catch the killer, but the vast majority were either hoaxes or genuinely useless. Hundreds cool. of letters claimed to have been written by the killer himself, and three of these particular are prominent. The Dear Boss letter, the Saucy Jackie postcard, and the From Hell letter. Saucy Jackie. I know, we're going to get into it. The Dear Boss letter was lit, was dated September 25th, 25th and was postmarked September 27th of 1888 and it was received that day by the Central News Agency and was forwarded to Scotland Yard on September 29th. Initially, it was considered a hoax, but then Eddowes was found three days after the letter's postmark with a section of one ear obliquely cut from her body. The promise of the author to clip the lady's ears off gained attention. Eddowes's ears... Um, appear to have been nicked by the killer incidentally during his, this attack, and the letter writer's threat to send the ears to the police was never carried out. The name Jack the Ripper was first used in this letter by the signatory and gained worldwide notoriety after its publication. Most of the letters that followed copy of the letter's tone. Some sources claim that another letter dated September 17th of 1888 was the first to use the name Jack the Ripper, but most experts believe that this was fake, this was a fake inserted into police records of the 20th century. Hmm. The Saucy Jack postcard yeah. was postmarked October 1st of 88 and was received the same day, by, same day by the Central News Agency. The handwriting was similar to the Dear Boss letter and mentioned the canonical murders committed on September 30th, which the author referred to as writing double event this time. It has been argued that the postcard was posted before the murders were publicized, but making it unlikely that a crank would hold such knowledge of the crime. However, it was postmarked more than 24 hours after the killings occurred, long after details of the murders were known and publicized by journalists and had become generally uh, general community gossip by the residents of Whitechapel. The From Hell Letter. 
Yeah. Was received by George Lusk, leader of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, on October 16th of 88. The handwriting and style is unlike that of the Dear Boss letter and the Saucy Jack postcard. The letter came with a small box in which Lusk discovered half of a human con- k- kidney preserved in spirits of wine, which is ethanol. Mm-hmm. Eddowes' left kidney was had been removed by the kill- killer. The writer claimed that he had fried and ate the missing kidney half. There is disagreement over the kidney. Some contend contain contend that it belonged to Eddowes, while others argue that it was a macabre practical joke. The kidney was examined by Dr. Thomas Upshaw Openshaw of the London Hospital, who determined that it was human and from the left side, but he could not determine any other biological characteristics. And Openshaw subsequently also received a letter signed Jack the Ripper later on. Okay. Scotland Yard publicized copies of the Dear Boss letter and the postcard on uh, on October 3rd in the un- ultimately vain hope that a member of the public would recognize the handwriting. Charles Warren explained in a letter to Godfrey Lessington, permanent undersecretary of the state for the Home Department, I think the whole thing, I think the whole thing, a hoax, but of course we are bound to try and ascertain the writer in any case. On October 7th, George R. Sims in the Sunday newspaper referee implied scathingly that the letter was written by a journalist to hurled the circulation of the newspaper sky high. So there's that whole speculation there. The Jack the, the Ripper murders mark an important watershed in the treatment of crime by journalists. Mm. Jack the Ripper was not the first serial first he was not the first serial killer, but his case was the first to create a worldwide media frenzy. The Elementary Education Act of 1880 um, made school attendance compulsory regardless of class. As such, by 1888, more working-class people in England and Wales were literate. So you got oh, more people yeah. writing. Yes, yes, yes. Um, in early September, six days after the murder of Marianne Nichols, the Manchester Guardian reported, whatever information may be in possession of the police, they deem it necessary to keep it secret. It is believed their attention is particularly directed to a notorious character known as Leather Apron. Journalists were frustrated by the unwillingness of the criminal investigation department to reveal details about the of their investigation to the public, and so resorted to writing reports of a questionable veracity. Jesus Christ, it's not helpful. <laughs> Imaginative descriptions of leather apron appeared in the press, but rival journalists dismissed this as a mythical out, outgrow of the reporter's fancy. So it just got crazy. After the publication of the Dear Boss letter, the Jack the Ripper Jack the Ripper supplanted Leather Apron as the name adopted by the press and public to describe the killer. The name Jack was already used to describe another fabled London attacker named Spring Heel Jack, who supposedly left leapt over walls to strike at his victims and escape as quickly as he came. <laughs> the invention and the adoption of a nickname for a particular killer became standard media practices practice, um, with examples such as the Axeman of New Orleans, Hell yeah. the Boston Strangler. Uh, the Beltway Sniper. Um, examples derived from Jack the Ripper include the French Ripper, the Dusseldorf Ripper, the Camden Ripper, the Blackout Ripper, Jack the Stripper, the Yorkshire Ripper, the Rostov Ripper, and even um, in Thomas Harris's novel Red Dragon, mm. they called Dr. Hannibal Lecter the Chesapeake Ripper. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he was a surgeon. Yeah. Um, the nature of the Ripper murders and the impoverished lifestyle lifestyle of the victims drew attention to the poor living conditions in the East End and galvanized public opinion against the overcrowded, insanitary slums. In the two decades after the murder, the worst of the slums were cleared and demolished, but the streets and some buildings survived, and the legend of the Ripper is still promoted by various guided tours of the murder sites and other locations pertaining to the case. For many years, the Ten Bells Public House in Commercial Street 
was the focus of such tours. In the immediate aftermath of the murders and later, Jack the Ripper came, became the children's boogeyman. Depictions were often, often phantasmic or monstrous. In the 1920s and 1930s, he was depicted in film dressed in everyday clothes as a man with a hidden secret preying on his unsuspecting victims. Atmosphere and evil were suggested through lighting effects and shadow play. By the 60s, the Ripper had become the symbol of predatory aristocracy and was more often portrayed in a top hat dressed as a gentleman. The establishment as a whole became the villain, with the Ripper acting in as a manifestation of upper-class exploitation. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. The image of the Ripper merged with or borrowed symbols from such horror stories such as Dracula's cloak or Victor Frankenstein's organ harvest. The fictional world of the Ripper can fuse with, mul can fuse with multiple genres, ranging from Sherlock Holmes to Japanese erotic horror, which we see. Jack the Ripper features in hundreds of works of fiction and works which straddle the boundaries between fan and fiction, including the Ripper Letters and a hoax diary, The Diary of Jack the Ripper. The Ripper appears in novels, short stories, poems, comic books, games, songs, plays, operas, television programs, and films. More than 100 non-fiction works deal exclusively with Jack the Ripper murders, making it one of, mo one of the most written about and true crime subjects. The term Ripperology, like I mentioned was coined by T Colin Wilson in the 70s to describe the study of the case by professionals and amateurs. There are periodicals called Ripperana, Ripperologists, and Ripper Notes, that where you can publish your research. In 2015, the Jack R the Ripper Museum opened in East London to minor protests. There is no waxwork figure of Jack the Ripper at Madame Tussauds' Chamber of Horrors, unlike numerous murders of lesser fame, in accordance with their policy of not modeling persons whose likeness is unknown. He is instead depicted as a shadow. That's cool. In 2006, a BBC History magazine poll suggested Jack the Ripper was the worst Briton in history. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, cool. There's a lot of information there, but my friends... Oh, boy, howdy, that was a lot. That is Jack the Ripper. But fuck, man, that's cool. God, I cannot get over the torso. The torso's still getting me. Right? Just a torso. Just a torso, no hands or legs. Fucking crazy. Damn. It really do be that way, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All righty. Well, uh, thank you for Jack the Ripper. Hell yeah, man. I know. We hadn't done that one yet, so I just thought I'd put that sucker together. Hell yeah. Love it. A pretty good little episode here. Got some cryptids. Got some mystery killers. Got a whole lot of body parts separated from the hole. Lots of trigger warning. <laughs> Yeah. I'm so sorry, guys. That one was rough. Yeah, there's some uh, some rough bits in some of these episodes we got here. But you know what? That's part of our charm. Oh, yeah. You love to hear us talk about it, I hope. Come for the gossip. Stay for the gore. Yeah, exactly. Um, but awesome. That, that I mean, that's, that's the episode. Go home. Don't Too have to go home, to but you can't stay here. Come for the gossip. Stay for the gore. <laughs> I love that. I know. It's a good one. All right, guys. Well, we're all over the place. Yeah. TikTok, Instagram, Gmail, Patreon, Redbubble with our t-shirts, all sorts of stuff. We're everywhere. We thank you for your support. Thanks. Look, I feel like we've plateaued with followers, so we need your help. Let people know about our podcast. Yeah, we really have. I've been noticing that. I mean, we were doing pretty good for a while, and then the listenership started coming down a little bit, and now it's just been pretty much the same. Is it us? I don't, I don't know. I, if you guys could let people know about us, it would be really great. 
If you could let us know what you would like to see more of, you know, we'll take suggestions, you know, any sort of, uh, you know, video content you might want to see or specific topics or if there's anything we can do to make it better, uh, anything we can do to get you to tell more people so we can get more listeners, more friends, more fans in the Insomniac yeah, Network. Do you want more dating drama? Do you want more dating drama? I mean, we can always we can always ramp that up. I'll, I'll start going on some weird dates. I'm not going to, I'll tell you, I'm going to draw the line. I'm not going to wreck my bike or my leg again. And neither will I. No. I'm going to, I'm going to throw that out there. That's my line too. But we'll do a lot. We will do much more than the average person would. Yeah. We're willing to do this for you. Mm -hmm. We are. For our craft. That's right. So test the limits. See what, see what you're capable of coming up with. Yeah. See what lines we're willing to cross. See what lines we're willing to cross find out all right guys thank you so much um from dylan my co-host my name is jake and we hope we've left you too scared to sleep